Welcome to Money Stories with LDT. I'm Linda Davis-Taylor, and this is Inclusion Revolution with Daisy Auger-Dominguez. And it was really my grandmother who taught me, um, not necessarily the mechanics of wealth generation, but the value of wealth generation and and the value of uh, freedom that comes from generating money. Today on Money Stories, we're joined by Daisy Auger Dominguez, the Chief People Officer at Vice Media Group, a digital media and broadcasting company focused on arts, culture, and news topics. In her role at Vice, Daisy leads global diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies, as well as corporate social responsibility practices. Daisy has made it her mission to make workplaces more equitable and inclusive, and she's quite good at it. She has a talent for inspiring and equipping leaders to think inclusively, lead with purpose, and embrace courage to shape a better future for all. I can't wait for you to listen to our conversation today. Daisy shares her own money stories from early on and offers us more insight into how she's encouraging the people in her own life to have open, honest conversations about money. We're so delighted today to welcome Daisy Auger Dominguez to our Money Stories conversation. Daisy, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Our listeners are in for a treat because Daisy, your mission is awesome. And to paraphrase it using some of your words, to make workplaces more equitable and inclusive. And that is a simple phrase sounding and a big, big job. And we're going to talk about that, and especially with regard to some economic aspects of that, um, such a big topic. And I'd like to start by starting a little bit more on a personal level about a personal money story. And I've heard you speak about um, a powerful message you got, I know from, at least from your father, about how important it is to work hard. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to know... Did you get any lessons specifically about money from your dad or from your family? And if so, could you share a money story with us? Absolutely. Um, you know, it all it all begins in our childhood, right? Uh, and I I actually was raised by my paternal grandparents. Um, mm-hmm. my father and my mother are, were both teenagers when they had me, and I was born in New York City but raised in the Dominican Republic. And my grandparents uh, grew up very poor. Um, but, but they, they, they studied, they worked very hard and it was really my grandmother who taught Mm me, um, not necessarily the mechanics of wealth generation, but the value of wealth generation and, and the value of, uh, freedom that comes from Mm -hmm. generating money and from working hard as my father would tell me, as you, uh, as you noted, but also of making money so that you can make your own decisions and choices in life. And so for me growing up, money was always tied to, um, you know, making enough of it would help me be free to make choices. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, and making enough of it would make me, um, uh, you know, would put me in a position where I didn't have to worry about it, (laughs) which is where, what, you know, I grew up with, with, a working class family that was um, that dedicated all of their money for me to go to a private school. I went to an international school in the Dominican Republic, and it was very clear to me 
I, I always I always joke that I grew up wealth adjacent. <laughs> I, was, I was close to wealth, but that wasn't me um, because I went to school with children from mm-hmm. that whose parents were either expats and had moved to the country for a couple of years to work for one of the multinationals in the uh, in the island or parents who had just, you know, uh, who were also uh, owners of wealth in the island. So I grew up adjacent to that, but I also would come every day to a household where I knew that in order to make the next, you know, the, the next payment for my school, my grandmother, my grandfather, my father, everybody would have to sort of pull their money around to make sure that that payment was made. And so I, I grew up with understanding, I was like, there's labor that comes mm-hmm. behind it. There's a tension and energy and you worry more about it when you don't have it. And for those around me that had it, there's no worry about that. And so, so that to me was, was a big, um, a big differentiator. And, and it, and I think it's informed my, um, both the practical approach that I take to money. Um, and I, I've saved my money ever since I could, I, um, paid off my student debt in seven years instead of 10, because I didn't want to carry that debt. Mm -hmm. Um, I have set college funds for my brothers. I have set obviously college fund for my daughter. Um, she has a trust there. There is all of these mechanisms that I've put in so that they are less burdened by the need for money and more able to make smart and wise choices with their money. There's so we could talk all day about what you just said. So, so many women with whom I speak talk about a mentor, and oftentimes it is a woman. And so, your grandmother did she articulate this by storytelling, by examples, by skills? By how did she actually give you that education? It was all of it. Um, there was always storytelling. I come from a long line of storytellers, that's my family. So, there was, um, there was never in, in, at least in my family and in my culture, there was never, let me walk you through this and show this to you. This is actually how, you know, that's what I've learned to do with my daughter now. My parents didn't do that, but what my parents and my, and my grandparents, what they taught me was through storytelling and mm-hmm. through, through not hiding things. So I think I was, I was really fortunate that, um, well, I'm sure there were things that I, I didn't know about. There was always a level of transparency about, you should know this. Mm-hmm. You should know that. You know, like you're the one that's going to take the check to school to pay for school. So you should know that this is what it took to put all that money together. There was also a lot of conversations of my and my family in particular, because um, and this is getting very personal, but my grandfather was um, the illegitimate child of a very wealthy man. And we grew up again, wealth adjacent. Yes, he grew up in the same family compound, if you will as the rest of the family, mm-hmm. but we didn't inherit that wealth. So mm-hmm. where we had a very comfortable home, two stories, everything, you know, I, I never had to worry about that. My cousins and my grand, you know, my, my grandmother on, on, on that side of the family had a huge pool and a bird factory mm-hmm. and all sorts of fancy things that were, you know, really outside of, of what I had in my household. And so we would talk about that. My grandfather was very comfortable talking about, he was like, well, that's not what we inherited but this is what we do and this is who we are. And they're still part of our family and we're still the same. And for him, it was very important that I grow up with an understanding of sameness and the way that I look at it now, this wasn't the language that he gave me, but it's that we're all beneficiaries in, in one way or another of things that are way outside of our control. And, and he wanted me to know what was under my control and what wasn't. And so for 
for what was what I would see around. He's like, you and I are the same as everybody else mm-hmm. in this community. We he would always say we wake up on the same side of the bed. <laughs> we right. put one foot in front of the other. What is different is that they inherited that money and we're working for hours. That and, is a, such yeah. a powerful uh, lesson. And one word comes to mind that some people with whom I speak about this big topic say is money makes them fearful. They're afraid. And what I'm hearing is that you and your family were not afraid of this topic, whatever side of the ledger, if you will, you were sitting on a particular day, you were not afraid. And that's, that makes, I can see why you've become so fearless. There was also a bit of honor that I Mm -hmm. think some families I, I see as shame and there was honor in recognizing we were very poor. We didn't have any of what we have now, and we've earned what we have. Right. Uh, and 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 growing up that way, there was there was a, I, I I knew that there had been labor and love and attention placed on where we were, and so I, there was also a sense of control that I knew I could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know that that their conditions had been the ones they had been born into, and they had changed them and that we could change our conditions. And that that I'm really deeply grateful for. And that was the purpose of, of financial resources, not so many other things that people attach to that. Mm-hmm. So so today, after that amazing uh, description of, of uh, the formative years, um, and you've had so many incredible uh, professional experiences already, I mean, today I know you're the chief people officer at Vice Media Group, huge global entity. And you have an awesome opportunity and responsibility now leading a global team on diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies, corporate responsibility. Can't think of a better time to talk about this than, than this year and this time. And in thinking about the economic aspect of that, Daisy, have you seen your area, DEI, affected or, or, or shaped by financial narratives and experiences? I, of course you have, but can you talk a little bit about how you've seen financial aspects of your work play out? Well, it fundamentally shows up in conversations around pay equity and, mm-hmm. and pay transparency. And that it, that's a topic that we've seen gain prominence in the last couple of years, particularly in the last um, eight plus months. But you know, I think that when, uh, when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, for me, fundamentally, is about creating a workplace where everybody can thrive mm-hmm. and where everyone has access and opportunity to achieve to their fullest potential. And when employers make compensation information accessible, the greater workplace culture that you can foster around trust and openness. And, you know, and the fact of the matter is that conversations about pay equity and pay transparency come in many forms. Um, it can be internally, um, meaning, you know, employees who are privy to salary information or externally, meaning compensation data is available to the public. You can, you can manifest it in many different ways. And I have worked in, in companies that have done it uh, differently and, and there's no perfect way of doing it. What is really important is that there is a sense of trust and transparency around and consistency around decisions around pay. And that that strategy has to align with your company culture and that it's not just seen as a one-off initiative or as a, you know, last summer, everybody was talking about pay equity. And so companies started doing pay equity analysis. Mm -hmm. And I was really proud that Advice Media Group, we already had done that the year before. So for us, it was an opportunity to revisit our principles and to recommit 
to our principals and to re-message to the employees. It's like, we care so much about this mm-hmm. that we know that every year we have to review this because even though we set the right principles last year and over the course of a year, there are so many changes that happen in the market. There's so many changes that happen in the industry. There's so many changes, one-offs that sometimes we may not catch that we owe it to you as our contract to you to ensure that you feel that we are treating you with fairness and consistency and that we are paying you what you deserve. We are not trying to address decades and decades of pay inequity, which is, which is different. And that's a conversation that I've had with our, with our employees when we were, we were doing our pay equity study. I had, to, I had to be very clear, this is not an equal pay initiative. This is a pay equity initiative. And the difference between the two is that I am making sure that you are getting the same salary mm-hmm. and compensation that the person next to you doing the same job. That is my commitment to you. There is no way that in this organization, two people are on the same level doing the same work. Should we be making significantly more or less? There's always mm-hmm. bands, but not significantly. Equal pay means that I am going to be addressing the decades and decades of systemic failures. And you know, for economic reasons, we're, we're not there. And, and I think that the two get something sometimes conflated. And there are two very important parts of the conversation, um, but, but pieces that need to that are part of the education for both workers and you know and society at large. Well, I'm, I'm such a proponent of financial education, which is so lacking in, is in the world. But that is a fantastic example of education, mm-hmm. you know, using your role to be an educator, an advocate, of course, and an educator, you know, and, and how good for Vice and good for you for uh, furthering that strategy and re- revisiting it every year. You know, so many of us might be still in organizations that aren't there yet, mm-hmm. um, that aren't, aren't doing that. And of, of course, we hope that, that more progress will be, will be made. If someone is not in an organization like that, one of the things that's talked about is, particularly among women, is the value in sharing uh, salary information among us as women. We know that Many people, and and I've read studies that as many as two-thirds of women say they'd rather talk about anything (laughs) than money. (laughs) Any topic, just don't make me talk about money. So I wonder, just from your experience, what are your thoughts about women sharing salary compensation information with each other? I think it's absolutely necessary. Uh, it's it's critical. I, I am a, a client of Jennifer Justice, um, who uh, works uh, is is a lawyer and has a firm uh, supporting women and and female entrepreneurs. And that is her mission in life, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, creating salary transparency. I think you're right. Many of us grew up with uh, this concept that it, that it's just rude to talk about mm-hmm. money and that. Um, and, you know, but, but we also, many of us grew up in workplaces where we thought it was rude to talk about the microaggressions that we were facing. Exactly. But it was rude to talk about the abuses that we were experiencing. We'll and, just be grateful that we have a job. And yes, you know, and, and I think the, you know, the, the veil has been taken off of that, <laughs> that cover. And so, you know, just as we, we recognize that there is a level of um, transparency and fairness and dignity and respect that needs to occur in the workplace. Part of that also means that everyone that's working in the workplace should be and is and 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 should require to be paid fairly. 
And, and if they don't feel that they're paid fairly, and, and listen, I work for a company of mostly millennials. Um, so mm-hmm. they are not worried about asking these questions. Right. Um, I get, I get on a weekly basis, my head of compensation is, you know, is vetting many, many, many of these questions. Um, and we have to your point around financial literacy, we have created workshops around understanding your pay, mm-hmm. around understanding the factors that are involved around understanding that there are certain elements that we are privy to share. And then there's some others around company performance. And because we're a private company that we can't share more publicly and that, you know, but, but it is, it's, it's sort of unveiling that for employees and helping them see themselves as active agents in their own careers and in their own lives that has taken, has been taken away from so many of us for so long. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. And being able to say, I actually, all of my girlfriends know, um, I sit down with everyone that before they get a job and I talk about negotiating their salary. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, and I have worked for companies like Google that will say they don't negotiate. I was like, they negotiate. Mm-hmm. So like, and the worst thing that can happen is that they say no. The worst thing that can happen. But I have, I have the first part of the first part of my career. I remember when I had my, I think it was my second promotion. I didn't know what to ask. And a, my first promotion, I didn't ask. They just told me, here's your salary. And and I was just happy I was getting paid. It was my first job. The second promotion, I remember my manager being a woman. And it makes a difference when you have a, a woman. And she wrote my salary on a piece of paper and she passed it over to me. And I looked at it and it was nearly double of what I was making. I have to tell you, I and I, I think about this now, I didn't think I was worth all that money. Oh. I didn't think I was, I really was like, but I had the gumption. <laughs> I don't know if I just had the gumption of the course to just stay very poised, look at it and say, thank you. Good for you. I wondered what you were going to say. And then I, and then I went, you know, like, <laughs> like I went to my office and shook and screamed and said, I can't believe I just, you know, and I called my parents and all of that. But in that moment, I don't know what I was able to draw upon and just with a lot of dignity and comfort just said, thank you so much. I will get back to you tomorrow with my answer. I'm, I'm, I'm answer thinking was, of your grandmother and how <laughs> thrilled she must, she would be that you were, and I, and you were there. Had, Yes. And I've had other moments like that in my career, in the early part of my career, that that A, helped me build my courage to be able to have, mm-hmm. be able to push back. But also I've had failed negotiations. And and there was one failed negotiation where I actually left the company. Um, and, you know, and I and I had to be ready to do that. And I and, right. and I, I tell people, I was like, you have to be if, if and, and I actually I didn't use it as a blunt instrument. But I but it was after the after the negotiation where I said, Oh wait, like they just they still see me as this person and I'm never going to be earning what I know my male peers earn mm-hmm. for a lot longer. And so I have a decision. I'm either going to stay here with the bad taste in my mouth or I'm going to leave. And I chose to leave. So so I think that that and and every time that you have those experiences, you build a little bit more courage. That's right. A little bit more awareness, and I've made it my mission to share all those stories and to let others know because I didn't know those stories. Because I didn't grow up with individuals who mm-hmm. were navigating corporate workplaces. Right. So I, you know, some of us do, right? So my daughter's gonna grow up with someone right. that tells her these things all the time. And so whenever whatever she decides to do, and if it's in the corporate workplace, she's gonna go into the corporate workplaces with her eyes wide open of what's available to her. I didn't have that. And if, and many of us don't, because we believe in, you know, we we just we still believe the story of holding these things back. So I think it is up to us to share. I'm so glad that you're, that, that you're doing this because I think this is critically important because I think it not only informs, but it helps us build the, the courage muscles that we need 
Well, I, I, thank you for that. I certainly believe that too. And just these, the conversations and your comments about millennials, I, I, I'm encouraged that the millennials, including our women, are bolder, but there's more to do. And I think even among some millennials, we still, I still talk with uh, many women in particular who don't, maybe they're ready, but they really don't know how to go about it. You're right. Or how do I structure that conversation so that I'm, I'm confident, but not uh, ang- too angry, you know, or just I'm effective. How, do, how can I do this effectively? Um, so that's, that's interesting that you say that, that, that you don't come off as angry, um, because we still as women have the double bind, right? We still have to, we, ha- we, we have, we have to be assertive enough, but we can't be too assertive. We have to be clear enough, but we can't come off. And I, and I think that that's sometimes also what stops us from doing this. We we over fixate on all of the scarcity models that we've been taught to operate in. And we forget to apply an abundance model to this of all I have to do is ask. The right. worst that I can do is say no. And the way that I ask is the way I would approach any business meeting, any business decision with sound facts, sound data, reasonable requests, and, and then at the end of the day, it's either going to be a yes or no. And then also with the ability to be able to decide, is this right for me or not? And by the way, I was able to walk away from one job once, but I haven't been able to other times. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that there are different points in your life and circumstances that you have to abide by. But I think that that's an equation that is fundamentally important for everybody is gather the information. Know that I, you know, I call it market data and market mm-hmm. data can be talking to your girlfriends because that's still market data. Right. <laughs> you know, this gathering your market data, putting together your talking points so you feel confident and comfortable. If you need to do the superwoman stand, you do the superwoman stand, <laughs> whatever works for you in that moment. Right. What works for me sometimes is to close my eyes for five minutes so that I can calm my energy because I have mm-hmm. a lot of nervous energy. So I need I need to do that. Um, but whatever works for you. And then you you go and stand your ground. And the more the more times that you do it, the easier that it gets. <laughs> exactly. And you're, you come at it again. I keep thinking about your early beginnings. This topic, you're not afraid of this topic. It, you know, it is a topic. It's not it's life-threatening. Life. It's a topic. <laughs> we all earn money. You know, right. my, my father, my father um, is, he's retiring, but he was a doorman at the Grand Hyatt Hotel. And, you know, I, I remember when I was in my first job, and we were on a business trip. And I remember somebody complaining about having to tip the doorman. And I remember having a moment of courage that came out. And I said, you know, I went to college on doorman tips. Good for I, you. My, my family survived based on tips. So what I would what I would tell you, one, is they're doing, they're, they're, this is a dignified job uh, that deserves your tip. And the second thing I'm going to tell you is that everything we spend when we travel is actually we get back. So it's not an expense that you get. <laughs> so this is this isn't money that's coming off your pocket. <laughs> this is company money. So I don't understand why you worry more about that than about other expenses that you take because actually this is paying for children to live, survive and educate. Um, and you know and that and knowing and that to me was that's also always been part of my narrative and an important one because I love what my father did and my father loved, and he put me and my two brothers through college that way. The value, the value of work. Well, I tell you, I bet it's the last time that person ever (laughs) did that. Hopefully it was was never another topic. (laughs) Everybody knew after that, not to say that. (laughs) So I'm, I'm thinking about another conversation that I've, I've I've listened to to you on, on some other talks is 
talking about some of your experience working at a financial services firm, Moody's, and the period in your career when you actually had um, this wonderful phrase, an ally. Um, The company was, like many financial services companies, primarily white and male-dominated. But you had um, this man who became your ally and helped you through that part of your corporate life. It sounded like that was with regard to the business skills and the the work that you were doing as an analyst there. Do you think that same model of having allies, looking for allies, can work with getting financial skills and achieving financial success? We've talked about this a little bit already, but that question of getting financial allies. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, an and ally and um, in your, I think you're referring to my TEDx talk, right. Revolution, um, mm-hmm. where, um, where I share the story of, of a white male ally who really helped me see the potential that I had in an organization and who helped me um, overcome a lot of my fears. You know, many of us have to overcome fears about money. Mm-hmm. Many of us have to overcome fears about, about not just whether we talk about it, but how we manage it. Um, with, you know, I have a financial advisor and I learned long ago that I, you know, my, my financial advisor knows that I, I go in deep because I've been a financial you know, mm-hmm. analyst. So I go in deep, but I'm, I feel comfortable in having someone that is managing that for me. I have friends that refuse to do that. And I, mm-hmm. I often tell them, I was like, well, you know, you go to a hairstylist to cut your hair because you can't cut your hair. And, you know, you go to a nail salon to do your nails because you can't do them as well. I was like, well, I have a financial advisor that knows how to invest for me far better than I would, exactly. even though I like to dig in. And that, that I think is part of the allyship and support that we can give each other is also just, you know, I share my, I, sh- I share my resources with my girlfriends. I'm part of networks that are wonderful that also as part of how I got connected to you that share those types of resources with each other. Um, and that I think is what an ally does is, is sharing resources and demystifying information is in sometimes rocking you into finding your own, um, you know, your own reckoning about what you fear mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and what you need to come to terms with. And, and I think all of us can play really meaningful allies um, on, on the road to financial, not just security, but success. Because right, it's not just one salary negotiation or one compensation study. It's a lifelong set of, of uh, events and circumstances. And sometimes I've talked with so many women when one of these transition, a big transition occurs and they just weren't ready for it. And so it's one thing to the, th- the things that you can anticipate, but I think you and I know either for ourselves or our families or our other women, many, many events can occur. We can lose jobs. We can get jobs. We can lose marriages. We can lose things. We can get unexpected pluses, it, whether it's really fantastic, like the double salary you got or, or, or something that's tougher. Sometimes we just it's if we keep all that to ourselves, it's very, very difficult. So I think someone like you, as skilled, obviously, as you are financially, to share that you seek out those, those allies, even today, even to this day. Um, And, you know, and and I learn and I'm still learning, right? We're always learning Mm -hmm. in every facet of our lives. I'm, you know, I, I am, the chief people officer of Vice Media, I'm a DNI expert, but I'm still learning in those spaces. And the same way I'm learning about, you know, 
uh, my my younger brother is into investment right now, and Robinhood is his favorite app. And he's, oh boy, he's been teaching. Yes, I know. It's it's. I've been sending him articles lately. Um, but I've I've been really fascinated by how he has taught himself how to invest and and how to do this work. And you know, and he's you know, and he and I have these conversations in a way that my father sort of pauses and says, you know, that's great. I I I didn't have this level of knowledge and insight as the two of you have. Um, but, but for my father, it was always very important that he had, he, you know, he was protecting all of us so that we could go to college and that we could be protected up, you know, when, and if he passes away, which nobody ever wants to talk about. And so, you know, my father, like my grandmother is incredibly practical. He's got all of his, you know, his wills, his tests, everything in a, in a place where both my, both of my brothers and I know where it is. And we know what happens in the case of, of him leaving, and I've done the same thing in my in my household. And with our trust, you know, we when we put set together the trust for my daughter, we went to family members and said, if anything happens to mm -hmm. us, you you would be entrusted with our most precious possession, which is our daughter. And this is this is what we've done to set her up for success. And this Fantastic. Is, and that and that, but I didn't know that. I had to learn that, right? Mm -hmm. I learned that from mentors. I learned that from allies. I learned that from reading and studying. Um, and, and I think that, and I, and I learned that from talking to, to girlfriends about it. And so, and I, I, my girlfriends all know, I have a lot of girlfriends also who, when we graduated, I have a master's in public administration and many went into government and I went into the private sector. And so the big joke was like, you know, well, Daisy makes all the money. So let's talk to her. Um, and I said, well, you know, I made very practical decisions based mm -hmm. on that. And here's what I've learned. So I was like, but you too can do this. So here's, you know, here's how you set yourself on a budget. And, you know, here's why I have bought the houses I have been able to buy and sold them at the right price and offer the profit, done this and this and this with it. And, you know, these are conversations that we should have over cocktails, just like we have conversations about our favorite Netflix movie. <laughs> That's, I wish we could bottle what you just said and put it into everyone's ear. Hopefully we'll put it into a few more ears because it's it's the sharing. And as you say, it's, it's just something to learn. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine this week said, you know, I want to talk to you because I know what to do, but I'm not doing it. And I hear that too much. I know what to do, but I'm not doing it. And so you're you're just encouraging us all. If you know what to do, you're do you're, their, you're their accountability partner. That's mm -hmm. that's an, that's another way of putting it. You know, mm -hmm. we we talk about accountability partners in the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion, in the work of leading and teams. So like it's the same thing with finances. Sometimes you're right. We know what we need to do, but but I really want to go buy that dress, and I really want to go do this, and I want to set up for my vacation. I was like, well, here's how you do it. Mm -hmm. I was like, and you have to set yourself accountable to it. And if you can't do it, I will remind you every other week. Have you have you hit your savings target? Have exactly. you hit your investment target? Well, since I I knew that I knew this was going to be the case, but you're such a you're such a resilient and optimistic energy, and that's an overused word already. Resilience, I know, but what would you like to share with us, either about just how you keep yourself resilient, and how do you remain hopeful about the future? You know, um, I engage in this work because I believe that change is possible. And what keeps me hopeful and resilient is, you know, I, I my hope resides in the belief that we can all create conditions of change. Not just me, not just you, but all of us. Trust me, I have days where I'm feeling defeated. You know, I I gain I gain hope and you know and inspiration from you know seeing my daughter and how she's mm -hmm. navigating the world, remembering the women in my family. I come from a long line of resilient women. 
Some of them have left their homes and their children for a better life. They have experienced trauma. They have experienced crisis and yet they are joyful. Mm-hmm. Yet they're hopeful. They have raised loving families. I have no other path to follow, but the one that they have carved for me. That's a beautiful reflection of where we started this conversation, those formative years and what you've built through the years, through through your work, through yourself, through your education. I know that all of our listeners are going to want to learn more about you and keep up with you. So just tell us how we can make sure we can stay in touch. How can we keep learning about you and your work? Ah, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Daisy OJ Dominguez. You can find me on Twitter, Daisy AD, on Instagram, Daisy OJ Dominguez, and my website as well. So just put my name on, on your browser and you will find all of the places where I try to share what I love, what inspires me, um, and, and what I want to put out in the world. Well, I, I'm, I know that our listeners are going to want to do that. I'm definitely going to do that. When I have a down day, I'm just going to plug you in and listen for a few minutes to get some of that energy back in my system. And Daisy, just just on behalf of so many, I know you've impacted so many people in your life. Just thank you for the work that you're doing, your commitment to it, sharing your personal stories and being so encouraging um, to our listeners and, and to me. And just thank you for joining us today. Really, really appreciate it. Pleasure to be in conversation with you and thank you for all you're doing. Thank you, Daisy. Take good care.